God, thank you, God. Thank you we can worship. Thank you, God, that Jesus has risen. Thank you that we have a hope that is unsaleable. Thank you, God, that we are bonded together into the body of Christ with a great purpose to be the arms and legs of Jesus, to make a difference in our communities and to have lives that make a difference. Who are we, God, to be able to be blessed beyond measure like this? Help us to marvel at our brothers and sisters as we see them now on these pages. Help us to aspire to nothing less than the Christianity that they lived out, the Christianity that they established, the Christianity that they leave for us, and they leave to us, and it is continued through us. Thank you that Jesus simply began to do and to teach as the book of Acts opens up, and he continues to do and to teach through every one of our lives and through everyone that we're able to touch. Lord, please bring this home to us and let us take it with us in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so uh, last week, uh, Tim, Tim did a great job of really laying out the, the beginning of chapter 2, where we see the promise of the Holy Spirit. The setting is the great feast of weeks, Shavuot, the, the feast of weeks, from Passover until the great harvest, the harvest of harvests. Pentecost is the Greek name of that. In this setting, where now Jerusalem is burgeoning with pilgrims and sojourners and worshipers that have come to celebrate the provision of God, to celebrate the gathering of the harvest of God through the Old Testament festival, but also know that Pentecost is an event that is very pregnant with meaning. As they would have gathered, they would have appreciated some other things that happened on Pentecost as well. One of the biggest ones is, is that the great moment when Israel was ratified as a nation, included in a real covenant with God, began in Exodus chapter 19. It began after they had been delivered by the fist of God from the Egyptians, parting of the Red Sea, liberation, also vanquishing of the superpower of Egypt, and now they are off into the desert Free. And then they come to a holy mountain of Sinai. And upon that mountain of Sinai comes fire. And the presence of God being made known. And the word of God ratifying them into his people. And all the people overflowing with joy ratify the covenant. We will do it. We will do it is their proclamation on that day. And what day was that? That was 50 days after their deliverance of Passover. It was the same day. It was Shavuot. It was, it was Pentecost on the same day. Uh, astounding that God in that day delivered the covenant in all the languages of the world to begin to draw back all that had been scattered in Babel. The drawing back of all nations, the great promise of God is starting to be realized. The goosebumps are, are rising on all of the Israelites, realizing, my goodness, God is making all of his promises right. And now at Pentecost, the other thing that they had always longed for, always waited for, is that they would be a nation that would have such intimacy with God that he would send two things, his promised Messiah and his promised Holy Spirit. And at this moment in time, Israel is aflame with wonder and anticipation. Could this be the promises of Ezekiel 36? 
That then I will pour out my spirit, he says in Joel, but then also I will give you a new heart. I will create in you a new heart. Also, Ezekiel 37, you'll be like dry bones that are dead. But when my spirit comes, you will be enlivened. You'll be quickened. You'll be brought to new life. Now you'll know really full life. And all of this will happen in the, in the minds of, of all these pilgrims coming together when the Messiah is revealed. All of this is their anticipation as they come together. And now they have seen with their own eyes the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. They've seen the outward manifestation through the miraculous signs of the disciples of, of Jesus now proclaiming in all the languages that they have come in with the, the, the spirit of fire attending to them and also con commending and confirming them. This is the scene. It is electric. And it's at that moment on the southern steps of the temple that Peter stands up and begins to preach. At first he preaches, as, as Tim looked at last week, from Joel to explain the phenomena that were all around them. But then he wants to make sure that this phenomena doesn't just stay there, but they appreciate it all the more. And so he, go, he continues in his sermon in verse 22, and that's where we pick it up. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, that's an emphatic you as he says it, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. That reminds him of a psalm, and so he looks to a psalm to confirm what he's saying. David said this about him. I saw the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. That's psalm 16. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad. My tongue rejoices. My body will also rest in hope because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with your joy in your presence. Right. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried and his tomb is here to this day. By the way, they would have no question, question about, question, question about, <laughs> they would have no question about that. Reason being, is that David's tomb had been the object of vandalism of those looking to maybe gain some treasure on two different occasions under Antiochus Epiphanes and then even under Herod, two of the kind of the despot leaders that had rummaged around in Jerusalem. But, but then the, the tomb was kind of moved and, and made even more glorious. And it was right in the very spot where he was preaching and he could have pointed to it. Moreover, the death date of David, as recorded through Jewish history, is Pentecost, the same day. So a lot of stuff is coming together in God's incredibly cool plan. 
all at one time, right? I mean, I, I, I'd be rather like, how cool is God? I love it when a plan comes together, Hannibal A-Team. As, and there he is, Peter, and, and everything is, is converging on this spot. There he stands on the southern steps to his um, left as he stands there preaching would have been the Mount of Olives, the very place where Jesus ascended on high. There, there before him then is, is, is David's tomb. There all around him are those gathering for worship. All about them is the Holy Spirit in, in the same way that the Spirit was manifest on the mountain of Sinai on Israel's birthday. Now it's the church's birthday. Now everything is coming together for ultimate fulfillment. And so as he says in explaining this, hey, David died. This psalm is pretty good stuff, but it's not about David not seeing corruption. His bones are right there. This is not about David. He says, but he, verse 30, but he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, and he has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. A, a very popular psalm in the New Testament, Psalm 110, because of the reference to Jesus. Therefore, in conclusion, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and, wait for it, Messiah. Indeed. Amazing that it has all come together, all that they anticipated. They're now seeing the Spirit. They're wondering of the Messiah. It should all be coming together right now. Could this be the final lap? Could this be what we anticipate before the final day of the Lord? And indeed, this is the bell lap. We have this great honor of taking the baton of God's people on this final bell lap before the final coming day of the Lord. Peter has that very honor as well. An honor beyond all honors. We get to participate in this as well. To be able to be witnesses, to proclaim and to share the, the wonders and the glory of what it is that is all coming together at this time. And, and as we appreciate this from Peter's perspective, my first point is... We saw it all. We are witnesses, he says. Not we are pontificators, philosophers, <laughs> that we have contemplated deep truths and come to this conclusion. No, no, no. That's not how they've come to this conclusion. They didn't think, well, I've considered the psalm. I've done thorough exposition of the psalm. I have applied logic to all of it. And the only proper conclusion that we can draw... No! He's not saying that. He's saying we saw it. And we can't help but burst forth in joy. To let all of you know to get connected fully to the beautiful events that are all converging at this time. And to make known to you how it all comes together in sweetness. 
And that's exactly what Peter gets to be able to do here. The joy that he would have to say, oh, I cannot wait to let him know what Joel's really all about. I can't wait to connect Psalm 16 and Psalm 110. It's beautiful. It's amazing. If there wasn't a God, we'd be astounded that all of these coincidences are coming together. But there is. And not only that, Jesus is him. And, and on top of that, he's also the Messiah you've been waiting for. And he has attested to it. We saw it all. We saw it all. Peter gives the first sermon of the new covenant ratified in the blood of Jesus. And when you think the Holy Spirit's going to use him for the very first sermon, then you would think that that would be really important. But you think, what is it? What should he grab onto to, in a sense, inaugurate or let's say constitute the establishment of God's new people in this new covenant. What is the essence of the message? And how does this message then also be able to speak to the rest of Christianity the way that we know it? How is it that these men that were so fearful are now so fearless? They go from cowards to heroes among men. They go from timid, shrinking back, to now being bold as lions in this very setting. Why is it? Because they were witnesses. We saw him. We saw Jesus' character. We saw Jesus die. We saw his butchering and his torture. We saw the degree to which he was so clearly brought to absolute death and lifelessness. We saw the tomb guarded by the authority of the Roman soldiers to corroborate the clarity of his death. And we saw the empty tomb. And that's not all. We spent 40 days up until last week with the risen Messiah. With Jesus. Christianity is not just a good philosophical construct. Christianity is an historical fact. It is God intervening physically, historically, in time and space to redeem his people and to extend the blessing that he's always wanted to pour out on everybody. And finally, he does so in the greatest act of love that could ever be devised. And Jesus is at the heart of all of it. And what is this message? The message is this at the, at the heart of it, is that Jesus died in agony. Jesus has been raised to the right hand of the Father. Jesus is the new king. Jesus is the one that has come as Messiah, as the deliverance mission that now saves us all. If we'll only open our eyes and appreciate it. Some seem to be appreciating it in the crowd. Some recognize, oh my goodness, we're hearing the message in our own language. So there was receptivity in the crowd, but there was also arms folded skepticism, cynicism, really. Ah, no, they're a bunch of drunk guys that are spouting off some fantastical things and they're kind of filled with their own notions because they're filled with the wrong spirits. That is the spirits of new wine. No, no, no. Uh, the, 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 the importance that, that, that Peter wants to do is to recognize that among all of you who are experiencing this, Understand what this is, what this is about. The scriptures have all already spoken 
of a resurrection. It, again, he's saying it couldn't be about David. Look at his bones. David saw decay. He not only saw decay, he's in an ossuary. That means his body was decayed all the way out. We're only left with his bones. David saw decay, and he's still in a tomb right now. So it's not about him. And it's also about flesh not seeing decay. This is not about some sort of a spiritual resurrection. This is about there's going to be a new body, a new age, a new earth. That we will all have a Garden of Eden reality that will be our new lives. That we will have new bodies, we will have new, new um, surroundings, and that God will come and be with us is the great promise that is confirmed and, and finalized in, in Revelation. This, this is the overflow of what they saw. Why are they able to have this kind of confidence? Because they saw it with their own eyes. Thomas, Bartholomew, Peter, Andrew, James, John, Thaddeus, Andrew, Philip, all of them saw it with their own eyes and you cannot hold them back now. And you don't hold them back for the rest of the book of Acts and the rest of the early church history. What is it that, that allows them to be able to do such a thing? It is because it's a fact, an undeniable fact. The fact that they realize saves them, the fact that saves you all, the fact that saves us all as well. They saw it all. And the depth of this love is so remarkable and so important. And, and the important thing to recognize here is, yes, he rose, but why? Not just that God raised him from the dead, but why? It's a very important question. Because death is the greatest power on earth. Robert Oppenheimer in 1945, when he saw the burst of a fireball in the first successful test of an atomic bomb, quoted from, from the Hindu literature in an ominous way saying, I am become death, the destroyer of worlds. But even that unleashing of horrors in the cracking the atom and unleashing the power of destruction into our civilization will not do anything to the death rate because that's how powerful death is. Do you know what the death rate is? One to one. Everybody's going to die. Whether it be from wearing out at the age of 104 or whether it's going to be because we are here at ground zero in the world's largest naval base with nuclear reactors all around us. One, one way or another, we're all going to die. But why did death come into the world? Death came into the world, Genesis 3 and 4, because of disobedience. Because we decided to commit cosmic treason against our Creator and decide that despite all that He wanted to bless us with, we instead wanted to go our own way. And as a result, death came into the world. And no one avoids death. Except now, someone has. Why? Because while death is predicated upon disobedience, death has never, ever swallowed up anything like Jesus. With Jesus, death attempts to swallow perfect obedience, absolute righteousness, and beautiful love. And when death attempts to swallow that obedience and that love and that righteousness, death is no match and death is exploded 
And instead, what, what then arises is our risen Lord. Hallelujah. Ain't no grave going to hold his body down. And not only triumphantly does he explode out of death, because obedience explodes out of death. He is then ascended in honor and glory to the reigning right hand of God. This is what they saw. This is what they understood. This is how they expound on, on this scripture, how Peter does here. And the amazing thing about it is because it is perfect love that death cannot contain, perfect obedience that death cannot contain, that he'd do it all again. It's that kind of love. It's that kind of obedience. It says that it was agony for him. Why couldn't it just be death? Why did it have to be agony? Why did it have to be torture? Why was there a butchering of our Lord and Savior? Think the reason why? is so that God can show us how dearly he hates our sin. The absolute repulsive, repugnant, heinous, filthy, dark nature of every one of our transgressions, our sins against him is such an affront to make it clear let me show it to you vividly in what it does to my very own son. But why else does it have to be so much agony as Peter describes here? To also show, and this is how much I love you. This is how much I hate your sin, but this is how much I love you. They saw it all and they were never going to be the same again. This is something they saw. And also the heart of Christianity from the start in character is rationally aggressive. It doesn't try to conform to the Pax Romana, to peace, peace of Rome, and can't we all just look at the commonalities of our philosophies of thought, and maybe just kind of work within those constructs so that we can all get along? No, Peter goes right to the heart of it. The very thing that later the Bible will tell us is an affront to the sensibilities of the Greek or the Jew. The very thing that offends them at their core is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. From the first sermon, also gives us something about the character of Christianity as it is being inaugurated here on this very first sermon. And we would do well to really understand what is this ethos, what is this kind of culture or spirit as Christianity is launched on its journey across Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, as well as the ends of the earth. Um, not only did they see it all, and they saw it all, but now we see it all. This is what he's saying to them. You see it all, this crowd, you all see it, right? The Holy Spirit has come down. There is no mistaking that there is the miraculous attesting to the events that are going on all around us right now. And you need to make sense of this because in seeing it all, God has fulfilled the great anticipation of our people Israel. What is that? That one day life, life would be ours. Life everlasting, life confirmed, life with a hope that could not be in any way in doubt. Because that's what the Spirit does. The Spirit gives life. The Spirit gave life in Genesis 1 and 2. The Spirit gave life in anticipation of God's work in Ezekiel 37. The Spirit gives life here in Acts chapter 2. And the Spirit will give life to every one of you. 
every one of us that is here that has been regenerated by the Holy Spirit, we have been, in a sense, sealed, guaranteed, and confirmed that the work of Christ is now ours. Jesus rose and ascended, it says here. He is exalted to the right hand of God, verse 33. He has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, and now he has poured out on you what you now see and hear. We saw it, the resurrection, but now you see it. The evidence of the exaltation of Jesus. Even if you didn't see the resurrection, know this. Jesus, who is exalted, is now showering us all with these gifts that we have. And the rebirth that comes from this promised gift of the Holy Spirit now allows you to live where your flesh has hope. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has promised out what you now see and hear. This is the beauty that, that he is now expounding upon from the, the Psalm 16, where he says, Therefore my heart is glad, my tongue rejoices, my body will also rest in hope. All of us live this life with a radical, radical hope because we know that we have already been validated with the, the stamp of the Holy Spirit. That is your life. That is how you get to live. And by the way, just as Jesus could not be held by the grave, you who are now regenerated by the Holy Spirit are baptized not just in general, but into Christ, into his love, into his obedience, into his righteousness. And so likewise, when you head to the grave, it's not going to contain you either. And it's not going to contain these men either. You want to know why through the rest of the pages of the book of Acts, they are so fearless? Well, because even death cannot in any way intimidate them. What are you going to do? Would have been their attitude. You're going to kill me? You persecute me to death? You know what that's going to do? It's going to glorify me. It's going to make me imperishable. It's going to make me beautiful. It's going to make me like God when, when I finally see Christ, First John says, that we're going to have bodies like his resurrected body. That's the worst case scenario for these guys. So they're like, we're bulletproof. Let's go. One of the stupidest movies of the late 80s, early 90s, I think it's actually 1990, was, was fun to watch only for this reason. And the movie was called Short Time. And it was starring Dabney Coleman as a cop who goes to the doctor and gets a, a test results back that are positive that he is going to die. He's going to die actually in very short order. Spoiler alert, the results were, were, were wrong. But nonetheless, he thinks he's gonna die and he's, he's a cop as I mentioned. And so he then goes out and polices as one who has nothing to lose because he's going to die anyway. So why die from the wasting disease that is his prognosis or why not die in glory? And so all of a sudden, you know, it's one of the cooler car races. I mean, the, the chases, the heroism, the, the tenderness, the giving, the all in. He, he goes in and, you know, there's a man with a bomb ready to kind of commit suicide. He, he goes in bravely and sits right down next to the man. You know, and even again, and he goes, go ahead and blow it up. Go ahead and blow it up. Why not? Oh, yeah. You know, calls the guy's bluff. He ends up being cited again and again for bravery. And he ends up being the most effective cop on the police force. And then at the end of this, he realized, oh, those were not my test results. 
But we don't need that kind of trickery. Nor did they. You've got something more solid. You've got the intervention of God the Holy Spirit. Jesus died, he rose, and he ascended. Why? So that he could send you the affirmation of regeneration, the confirmation that your life is bulletproof. You are in him. And for me, the fact that I'm going to raise again is good to know. But I think the fact that I know I'm going to raise again because I have Jesus' righteousness and death has no hold on that kind of obedience or righteousness. It, it empowers me as well. To be like, let's, let's go. And, and with that being the case, then they say it to all. And we say it to all. And that's just the simple conclusion to this. And what is it that they're doing? As soon as they realize this, what do they begin to do all through the Temple Mount? Yes, Peter here, but all of them are just bringing the word of God. And for us as well, my goodness, brothers and sisters, let the book of Acts, this study, really confirm to us what it confirmed to them. Who we are in Jesus. What he did in dying and resurrecting and in sending and then giving the Holy Spirit. What all of that was for. Let it count for something in our lives. Let's go out. Let's love daringly. Let's interject into people's lives in the way that they need to have it happen. Let's not live another thoughtless moment. Let's take every step that we have, having been regenerated by the Holy Spirit, to make a difference in what the death, burial, resurrection, ascension, and giving of the Holy Spirit was always meant to be in all of them and in all of us. Let's honor it with nothing less than that. And by the way, if this is not the reality of your life yet, if this seems so foreign to you, you can't even begin to appreciate it, well then... There is a response that's here that you need to just ask about. Peter says as a response to those who say, what should we do? What should we do for those that were not yet the beneficiaries of all of this? And he says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will get the promised gift of the Holy Spirit. That's where you go with this. That's where you take this to help other people as well. And for, for us who are here today, let me encourage you. We have, we have invitations, some up here. We, we have opportunities with next week in our house churches. For the men, we've got a great event coming up Tuesday night. There's more than enough reasons. Let's disrupt the lives of our friends as men and women who have the boldness of our brothers and sisters here and to let them know that there is hope, that there is Jesus, and that he's given us the blueprint in his word and to ask, let's sit, let's study, let's understand, and let's appreciate who it is that we are meant to be and how it is that we are meant to live. Amen. We'll break to fellowship, and then we'll have a leaders meeting in just a moment.